everyone. Welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We are recording live from Shane's Back Porch here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debbin, and I am joined, as I am every week, by Miss Shane Reeves. I had one, and then it left at the last possible moment. I figured there would be some joke about the Alaska wild that, man. Yeah, there was, there was bush something. Pilot. There's something to do with bush pilots and anything the, like that. I, it was queued up. It was Alaska-related, and then in the, in the half a second from... To, to cue it up, it just it just ran away. That's that's old age setting in. Right yeah, I'll tell you. you what. Yeah, so we were going to record at the shop today because we're actually this is a rarity. We're actually recording the day that it's going to be dropped. Mm-hmm. And so for everybody that we messed up your morning cigar by not having our podcast out, I'm sorry. Catch one in the morning on us. Um, <laughs> so we get to the shop and it's three standing o'clock. room only. Yeah, three o'clock in the middle of Friday and the shop is just packed. Well, my house is 10 minutes from the shop, so we just jumped in the car and hauled over here. Yeah. This will be done. We haven't done this in a long time. Yeah. So the, the cleanliness of the audio, enjoy it. I'm certain one of my neighbors is going to fire up his lawnmower. Probably somebody with a wood chipper is going to need to do some right. wood chipping. Probably, you know, any number of things could be happening momentarily. Some guy practicing his competition bird calls. Yeah, the, well, there was actually somebody the other night I was out here smoking, and somebody was over at the school parking lot practicing drumming. They oh. had their little snare drum out there, undoubtedly somebody <laughs> yeah. had a marching band. So anything's possible at this point. Actually, when we had wrestling back here on the back porch, and we'd sit and watch wrestling out here, um, we had a bet as to which neighbor would turn on their lawnmower during wrestling. <laughs> it never failed. <laughs> it, always, there's always one. Yep. So, what are you smoking tonight? Tell them all about it. So, I'm smoking a La Polina Blue Label, and so I was, you know, we we've talked a lot on this show about buying from brick and mortar and not buying online, or you know, and the etiquette associated therewith. And this time of year, I do a lot of smoking at home on my back porch, so I don't feel as bad about grabbing the occasional box or two online, especially when just with price increases being what they are right now. It's it's a great economical way to stay to stay where you want to be. And so I got, I saw this, I got a deal on these because they're the old branding. So I was curious for a couple of reasons. One, because are these intentionally branded with old branding? They're new cigars, but La Polina has like back stock of branding. And so they're shipping them out to these retailers or have these been sitting on the shelf a while and do they have some age on them? Well, you'll taste it if they got some age on them, but La Polina stuff has always done so well. I don't know yeah. that you'd notice it as much. You know, and I don't. I, I think it does have a little bit of age on it, but they were prepackaged in five packs, so they were always intended to be this kind of thing. Um, the other reason that I was curious is because this is the same company that I bought those La Polina black labels from about three years ago that were rolled so tight I had to... Hold on, time out. <laughs> Look at the size of the horsefly that just landed on our on this porch. Oh, <laughs> I am ready. Now, look at him down there. I oh, mean, he yeah. is gigantic. He's, he's a Clydesdale horsefly. <laughs> but so, I am ready. <laughs> so this is the same company that I got the, the La Polina Black Labels from that were dr- rolled so tight I had to drill them through with a deck screw to make them even moderately smokable. And even then, it didn't really work. So I was curious for that reason, too. Did I just get a bad box, or or was it this company? And I'm pleased to say, having smoked four of these already... That not today. Uh, that it's 
It definitely isn't the company uh, because these smoke great. I do think there's a little bit of age on them, but I don't think it's a lot of age. And um, so the La Plina Blue label is a Sumatra wrapper over. I picked the worst possible site to get this from. There it is. Um, Honduran wrapper, uh, origin Honduras, uh, binder and binder Honduran filler from Honduras and Nicaragua. So is there anybody that does Honduran tobacco better than La Plena? I'd actually go a step further and say that La Plena is the only company that does Honduran tobacco well. Yeah, you know, Honduran Tobacco um, has no, a bad I, rep in our shop. I take that back because Illusione is Honduran as well. Oh, is Illusione Honduran? Yeah. Okay. Well, Illusione is no longer in our shop because they didn't come support their brand. So. Well. But the <laughs> the La Polina, and I will say Patrick from La Polina, he's great. He yeah. supports his brand, and that's one of the reasons they get to hang around in the shop. So I'm actually smoking a La Polina also. So I'm smoking the Kill Bill series part four. All right. Um. It says this is a medium to full strength cigar. I think it's medium, but I'm I'm kind of jaded. Um, it's a Honduran Corojo wrapper, a Criollo double binder, and a filler made of Nicaraguan Corojo and Criollo. So this is called the Kill Bill because Bill Paley that owns La Polina, um, he said he wanted a strong cigar, and apparently his blenders tried to kill Bill. So when they made this one, he. He actually said it was too strong for him to finish. Oh, but they wow. labeled it the Kill Bill, and that's where the Kill Bill name comes from. And I've smoked several of these. I really like them. I don't, I don't see them being strong enough to kill nobody. I don't see is there's so much strength in them that they're going to well, knock anybody down. And it's interesting, too, because the blue label here is ro- rated as medium from Cigars International, and I think it's actually medium full. And maybe that's the age coming through on it. I don't know. Well, before we get to talking about Alaska... I think we got to hit the biggest story in cigars ever. Yo, I had actually intended on launching straight into it without the intro, without anything, just a bunch of fanfare. Da, 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 da. Yeah, break, breaking news. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, this is huge. It's been, what, it's been since 2013 was when? 2016. Okay. Um, 2016 was when the case first went into court, but the but the regulations or the, like all of this got started in 20 I think 14 when Obama changed the um, uh, the FDA giving the F- FDA oversight of of tobacco production, but uh, it's been struck down. So uh, this is from the New York Times. Federal judge struck down the Food and Drug Administration's authority to regulate premium hand-rolled cigars on Wednesday, offering relief to makers of a luxury product glamorized in films and celebrations. Right there, it tells exactly what you need to know, but in typical New York Times fashion, you can tell this person has never smoked a cigar. (laughs) Yeah, they said, hey, write an article on this. Well, and so the reason we're starting with a New York Times article, we have another article on this as well, but I kind of wanted the the perspective from somebody outside the industry. So, and this guy is way outside the industry. (laughs) So uh, I guess I got exactly what I was asking for. Um, So basically here's what happened. Let's, let's, let's recap. Let's do an autopsy here. The FDA, Obama gives FDA powers unsupercoming to them and they decide, okay, we'll regulate premium cigars. And what's, Im- what's important here is that they decided to regulate the manufacture of cigars 
in in such a way that was going to basically cripple the industry. Uh, things from uh, production standardization. One of the first things that came out was getting rid of the wood tables that are necessary to the production in favor of stainless steel to abide you know health code sa- sanitation standards. And then the biggest issue, though, was. Uh, they they never really had a name for it, but I basically call it um, blend registration. So anytime you came out with a new blend with under a new name in a new size, you were going to have to send it for processing and examination by the FDA, who were going to perform some tests and charge Buku money uh, for all of this. And and the worst part about it to me was that when the when the ruling first came out in was it 2013 or or 14 or let's just say 16, it was going to apply retroactively back to blends that had been in production since 2006, which uh, we've talked before, you shouldn't be able to write a law that is retroactive. Well, so a couple of things about this, you know, we're to, before I get too much into the nuts and bolts, I want to say, FDA did not put out a comment period for the tobacco industry, did not solicit any information from anybody in the tobacco industry of, hey, we're thinking of regulating premium cigars, what should we do? They just decided to start handing down edicts like they were going out of style. They did not, did not do anything as far as due diligence. Um, they just said they asked uh, health officials doctors oh what's the dangers of cigars and the doctors who didn't know anything about cigars said oh it's same as cigarettes right yeah yeah tobacco's tobacco yeah so the um the fact that they did this so slipshod and haphazardly reflects why they should have never been given the ability to do it anyway on the on i'm gonna take a really weird take here though i'm glad i'm glad they did such a piss poor job of doing their due diligence and doing all of the regulatory processes the way they should have because it's what, in my opinion, allowed the CRA to win this case. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If they had dotted their I's and crossed their T's, the chances of us winning this would have been very, very slim. Yeah. So the fact that they were so haphazard and so ill-prepared for it... It's the OJ verdict. It it it's it, it was process that let this down. Yeah, and that's and that's a big part of it. But basically, Judge Maida struck down the FDA ruling, and he said, "Okay, premium cigars do not apply to the things which you have stated." Right. And we now have a legal definition. And correct me if I'm wrong. We now have a legal definition of what is a premium cigar. So uh, what I don't see is if it's actually stated here what that definition is. It does have a a line in the article that says, the judge's order applies to cigars that are hand-rolled and tend to be sold in humidors and in specialty stores rather than the mass-produced machine-rolled cigars typically available at convenience stores. But obviously the the definition of what's applied and what's not is going to be slightly more particular than just that. So... Yeah, so if we step from the New York Times article to the half-wheel article, um, his definition, what he has written down from the actual ruling is, what is a premium cigar? One wrapped in whole tobacco leaf, contains 100% leaf tobacco binder, 
contains at least 50% of the filler, long filler tobacco. So there's not going to be any more short filler cigars. There will only be medium filler cigars. Um, Handmade or hand-rolled, no machinery was used apart from simple tools such as scissors to cut the tobacco. Has no filter, no tobacco, non-tobacco tip or non-tobacco mouthpiece. Does not have a characterizing flavor other than tobacco, and I think that's going to become a big one. That's going to become yeah uh, the next sticking point. Contains only tobacco, water, and vegetable gum. No other ingredients or additives. And weighs more than six pounds per 1,000 units. So your, your senoritas are out. Yeah, your really tiny ones, which I don't know, six, I mean... How small would have to a cigar have to be that a thousand of them wouldn't weigh six pounds? I don't know, because how much does your average cigar weigh? About yeah. three, four ounces. Yeah, I mean, a, you said you noticed me bouncing it up and down yeah. in my hand like I can tell. <laughs> you know what? How big? It, you know, so if we were buying cigars by the pound, how many p- cigars would be in a pound? Uh, we're less we're, than a box. We're going to when we get back to the shop. They've got a little the digital scale. scale there. We're going to find out how many cigars are in a pound. Yeah. I'd be interested to know. We're going to do it based on Robusto? Probably have to do it based on Robusto or Toro, either one. Or Toro, yeah. And all, but I'd like to know how many cigars to a pound. Yeah, that would be interesting. Well, we'll have to, when we get back to the shop, we'll have to weigh that out and figure that out. Um, and contain, you know, contains only tobacco, water, and vegetable gum. That's completely reasonable. Right. So does this, does this ruling leave flavored cigars hanging out in the wind. Does it say that again? Does this ruling leave flavored cigars hanging out in the wind? I think it does. Uh, the, way it's, the way it's currently written, if that's the true definition. Now, the thing is, though, you know, this has been tied up in litigation for, you know, what's seven years now. But any of the stuff that were proposed still hadn't t- taken effect yet. So, at the very least, it's not going to change anything for flavored tobacco right now. Yeah, I don't think it changes anything in the immediate future. Um, and I can, more than any other argument, I can understand the argument against flavored tobacco. I can understand the argument against having to, it, of adding a flavor to tobacco, how that might make it more palatable for a child. Yeah, it, and also it comes, you know, it's one of the things that we talk about often is is the key differentiator between cigars and cigarettes in terms of their harmfulness is the fact that you don't have tar added, you don't have extra nicotine added, and other things that are intended to make you more addicted to them that cigarettes have. And if you if you allow a flavor additive, well, what if the necessary ingredients of that flavor additive as told by the manufacturer happens to be arsenic and fiberglass and all the right. so i can see how allowing any additive opens the possibility for abuse of that loophole uh, I, i'm sure that could be legislated or regulated around but I, I just don't know i wonder if that's the the good news is for those of us that smoke 100 percent leaf tobacco cigars it means that uh, things are going to get easier. And I bet between now and the show next year, we see a lot of activity from brands releasing new blends. Probably will. So do you think, do you think the FDA 
appeals this decision and tries to get back into it? Do you think they fight the other battles that they see this ruling that, you know, flavors are not not necessarily covered under this ruling and they just double their efforts on flavored cigars and figure we'll get to real cigars later? Um, what do you think goes on from here? This, this is tough because we have to remember we're talking about the government. So legal fees associated and time associated with fighting this battle aren't entering into the equation. If it right, were, they're just pissing my money away. Right. If it were a private company, they would look at the time they had already spent and the money they'd already spent fighting this and say it's, there's no fruit up that tree. Um, you know, it depends how strong the lobbies are. The American Lung Association and, you know, Parents for a Child-Free Childrenhood or whatever, it, how strong those lobbies are is, is probably going to affect it. I bet they, I bet they don't appeal. And I think they just go after what's still on the table. Because it'll still look like a victory. I think it depends on a lot as to how the political climate stays. You know, what does the shift in, what does the political climate stay like? Does it stay more big government or does it shift to less? You know, and also, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn this into a political debate. But, you know, if Ron DeSantos gets elected president, you got to think he's going to look favor, flavor, favorably upon the tobacco industry. But the same thing, the, at the same time, you've got to remember that we, we, we currently have a Democrat in the, in the Oval Office, but the Republicans still have control of the Senate, or the House, rather. So we don't really have one side of uh, of regulation but also it's important to know that the fda is not subject to legislation in this regard you know they're not passing laws they're passing edicts so i guess where funding comes from and again that's that's handled by the senate uh by congress rather um there's just it's it's a really complicated issue um i think i think the people who really wanted this are still going to be able to say, I, I guarantee you, they trot out some statistic that CRI, CRA brought up in this lawsuit that stated that kids aren't smoking premium cigars. And they roll that out and they say, yeah, we lost this battle, but the war is about children and we, we've we still got flavored cigars. We've still got vape. And, and, and I think that they'll just spin it as a victory and, and it'll be the end of it. Well, and that's the problem. You can't negotiate with the FDA. It would be so nice if we could just say, hey, y'all have lost this battle. Here's the deal. Um, if, you, if you want flavored cigars, you can have them, and you leave us the hell alone on the rest of our cigars for the rest of our life. Yeah. But they ain't going to do that. No. Any foothold they get is just that, a foothold. Right. And all. that's why even if you don't like flavored cigars, you've still got to support legislation against legislating flavored cigars. Because it's just a small step from them taking your flavored cigars to taking your cigars. Although, yes. Uh, however, the good news is this establishes precedent. So any further attempts to legislate or regulate premium cigars will have to be solely on the merit of premium cigars. So if you're going to enter evidence about why we need to regulate this and outlaw it or whatever they're going to go for next... You have to do it on terms of premium cigars as their own entity, which means you have to have studies done that prove that cigars, by and large, don't 
pose the same health risks as cigarettes and other forms of tobacco use. So it's now we we saw with several things coming out of the Supreme Court earlier this year and end of last year that precedent doesn't always establish future, but it's it's a good start. Yeah, it's a, this is a good start. This is great. Um, we should be celebrating the battles not over the war is not over but this battle has been won i guess is what we should take away from this um charlie did a good article on half wheel charlie minato did a great article about 17 reasons the premium industry won the lawsuit and you can kind of peruse that on your own i thought it got a little deeper in the weeds than what i wanted to but he did have some good points if you do want to step over and peruse that but moving on cigar journal are you done with FDA? Yeah. Okay. Cohiba to ship new edition of Weller by Cohiba. Okay. I've been complaining. We've been talking a lot about marketing lately. Well, and bourbon, really. And bourbon. And, you know, I always we've talked about it before. I think people that like bourbon like saying they like bourbon and like chasing bourbon more than they like drinking bourbon. Right. And I think this Weller, and, you know, every time somebody brings in a bottle of bourbon into the shop that's, oh, well, that's only a $20 bottle of bourbon. Well, that's as good as Weller. Well, is Weller that bad? Right. (laughs) Yeah. It says more about Weller than it does about anything (laughs) else. Yeah. And I'll be, you know, and I know everybody likes to collect the little ones of the racehorse on top of the bottle and everything like that. But um, this is basically they're taking these Cohibas. And they're aging them. They're taking a Connecticut Broadleaf binder, and they're aging this in the barrels at the Frankfort, Kentucky Distillery. And, you know, the barrel-aged cigars are so miss and miss for me. You know, there are a couple of them that you can really taste it, and I don't think it adds anything to the cigar. And then there are others, in my opinion, the Perdomo barrel-aged. I don't think you can tell the difference. I don't taste anything from the barrel aging that I wouldn't taste from just other traditional aging methods on that on that tobacco. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I don't think it. I don't think this really does anything except, you know, this will look good in the little cabinet humidor on the you know in the liquor store. Right. Yeah, and I mean at twenty four ninety nine per cigar. Ten count box two forty nine ninety nine, which for a Cohiba is not bad. But you know, I've just not had a Cohiba worth that. Well, no, but that's what they cost. Yeah, it's what they cost. So six by fifty Toro is going to be twenty four ninety nine. It so it's made with filler tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa, Nicaragua, with Brazilian Matafina, Connecticut broadleaf binder aged in the bourbon barrels. So and it doesn't say the wrapper. It seems to me like they they should put the wrapper on this, but I have not found the wrapper anywhere in this article. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was Connecticut Broadleaf. I thought you said that. No, it says Connecticut Gro- oh, that's Broadleaf binder. binder. Yeah, there. I don't. I have not found a wrapper in this article. Interesting. Um, but in another marketing deal on the cigars. At what point do the cigar guys just say, "Okay, I'm not following for the falling for the marketing thing anymore"? Well. Never. If marketing didn't work, they wouldn't still do it. You know, I know so many people, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm immune to advertising. I know they're trying to get me. I know, but they'll still buy an Omega watch because it's what Bond wears. (laughs) You know, it's, you know, everyone's subject to marketing. 
Oh, look at Yeti Coolers. Yeti Coolers is the greatest example, one of the greatest examples of marketing in history. Right. I mean, who needs, I mean, how often do you need a cooler that's going to hold cold for two weeks? Twice a year. Yeah, at the at the outside. Yeah, we, we when we go camping, we use the Yeti as our refrigerator because it'll keep that temperature the whole time we're gone. You know, but but yeah, most people, when you're going to the lake for the day, you don't need a 200-pound cooler, much less one that's really only, you know, about the size of one of those styrofoam disposable right. ones you get at the Piggly Wiggly on your way to the lake. And let me tell you, folks, I just shipped 50 pounds of halibut and salmon back from Alaska. They put it in a insulated box. It was a box, and it just had basically one of the cheap styrofoam coolers, yep. and it shaped like the box. They put it in there. They shipped it from Alaska to my house overnight, and it was just as froze when it got to my house as it was when they it They pack it on dry ice or nope. ice packs? None. No oh. ice needed. And uh, the little place up there, we stopped by at Kenai. Oh, they were pre-frozen. Right. Okay. So yeah. up there, so okay, we'll talk about Alaska for a minute. Well, let's, let's step away for a break. We'll come back with Alaska. Oh, coming back with Alaska. All right, well, we'll be back with that more after this. back to the cigar cast this is one of your hosts shane sitting across from the man that i'm not sure how he would survive in a salmon stream in alaska mr traded the water is so fast you think i'd get drug away well you get cold easier than i do so and it's all glacial runoff it is so uh, in in two weeks i'm heading up to our camping trip so we're going over a month early this time. So we had to move the trip up from the first full week end in October to the last full weekend in September because my new company has a PTO blackout during our busiest time of the year that starts in October. So we had to we had to move it up a little bit. And then my dad and a couple of the other guys that go on our trip scored this once-in-a-lifetime package deal to go to Egypt. And it just so happened to fall on camping weekend. So... Again, we couldn't move it back because I couldn't go. And so we ended up, the, the only weekend that worked for us was August the 23rd. It's going to be miserable hot. And none of us are really looking forward to it because it's just going to be so different than we're used to. You know, the overnight low is only 68. Right. Um, oh, man, I can't wait to show you my new tent, though. So, but I'm actually doing something I've always wanted to do this year, which is I'm going up a day early. So I'm taking off Wednesday as well. I normally go up first thing Thursday morning. And me and my buddy are going to stay, because Teleco River in East Tennessee is the best trout fishing in the entire state. Right. And I've never fished it. I've been going up there for 16 years. I've never fished this river because the campsite is like another hour outside. We're going up a day early. We're going to fish until we until it starts to get dark enough that we've got time to get to camp and right. get set up before it gets dark, hopefully cook what we caught for dinner, and uh, get up, fish until the rest of the crew gets there on Thursday. It's going to be brilliant. I'm bringing waders. Oh, absolutely. You know, because and even though it's going to be almost 90 degrees, I'm standing in the blazing sun. Yeah, that water's cold. Yeah, you know, 
the average temperature. So I so I went to Nenilchek, Alaska, and Nenilchek, Alaska is right between Homer and Soldotna. Um, basically, I flew into Anchorage and then I jumped on the Raven and took the Raven to Kenai, and from there that was about forty five minutes to Nenilchek. And Nenilchek's just a little village, seven hundred eighty nine people yeah, in the whole fishing thing. village. Yeah, just a little thing, and you're just up the road from Homer, so you can be at Homer in about an hour. You can go back to Soldotna in about an hour, so you're not out of the way of everything. Yeah. But, you know, there are three rivers there, and one of the cool things, if you've never fished in Alaska, the most important thing you need to know about salmon fishing in Alaska is the phone number to the fish sonar. So they have sonars set up on the Russian River, the Kasilov River, and the Kenai River, where when the salmon come in from the ocean, these sonars count them. So the way you fish up there is you call the number, and they say, okay, on August 3rd, 46,000 salmon went up the Kasilov. Okay, we're not going to the Kasilov today. Um, You know, 72,000 salmon went up the Russian. Okay, we're not going to Russian. 192 in the Kenai. That's where we're going today. Interesting. Because if only 40,000 go up that river, you're not going to catch anything. So you really have to follow what salmon are coming up there. And they'll even report the kings that come up there. And it's funny because they report 40,000 of the, and at the time we were there, they were the um, Chinook salmon were coming in. You know, 40,000 of the Chinook have come in and 12 kings. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're like, okay, my chance of catching a king pretty slim. But that's the most important thing you have to know when you go up there is that phone number. Because yeah. that tells you where to go and what rivers to stand in and everything like that. Um, and the combat fishing, I don't enjoy it as much. Is that the only way to, to... Is it there's just so many people, there's no other way to do it? or? Well, if you own a drift boat, you could take the drift boat down the river and get to a bank where no one is. But yeah. if you're just fishing like most people do where you go to a state park and they've done a great job on their state parks having ramps going down to the water and getting in and out of the water and yeah. having they have tables mounted in the water to clean your fish. You don't bring any uncleaned fish out of the river. Oh nice. You put, put the everybody carries basically a doormat with them and throws it on top of that t- stainless steel table that's in the river. You fillet your fish and you send the remains down river. Yeah. Cuz you don't want to attract bears. Right. You know, you don't take salmon back to your house and clean them cuz you're going to attract a bear. Exactly. Um, matter of fact, it wasn't the wisest thing that we did, but we had to do it anyway. Um, we caught, a, we caught a Chinook and a Humpy, which is a pink salmon. Okay. And Humpy's pink salmon, they're mainly used for dog food. Really? But we'd never eat one. We said, we're going we're gonna to cook it. We're, right. So, and we cooked it on the fire pit right there by the cabin. Now, also, we skeet shoot there at the cabins, so that keeps the bears away, so we felt safe doing it. But normally, you wouldn't cook that close to where you slept. Yeah. And all, but it was a full log cabin, and a bear couldn't have got in there if he wanted to, and there's a lot of shooting. If a bear can get in a Subaru, he can get in a cabin. <laughs> well, we kept the door locked. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we cooked that fresh salmon right there on the fire. I bet that was amazing. a couple of hours, and the Chinook was excellent. The humpy was, there's a good reason why it's usually dog food. I mean, if I was starving and it was all I had, it wouldn't be a chore to eat it. But when you got the Chinook next to it, it just blows it away. Yeah. So the a lot of that type of fishing then went on a halibut trip. Uh, if you go up there, spend the money, go on a halibut trip, you can go on one for about 200 bucks, And it's well worth the cash. 
because they take you out there. You see that we saw the minke whales. We saw the orcas. We had a stellar sea lion come up to the boat. Um, just all the stuff is just amazing you see on that trip, even before you catch a fish. I'm sitting here next to the man who I said, you want to record a podcast today? And he said, I'll do it just for the halibut. Just for the halibut. That was the, that was the joke. That, that's, that's the joke ever. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and, and the I didn't jo- say it was a good joke. The just for the halibut joke gets used to death up there. Oh, I have no doubt. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the number one punchline in the state of Alaska is just for the halibut. <laughs> but went over to Seward and went to the Alaska Sea Life Center where they rescue the sea mammals and rehabilitate them. And oh, all I bet that, that was really cool. Yeah, worthwhile. You know, it costs like 40 bucks to get in. I'm like, hey. For but it's work, going to conservation yeah. efforts and things like that. For the work they're doing, that's well worth right. it. And I've seen the sea lions and all that. But just it's a once-in-a-lifetime trip. You know, everybody says, when they say, oh, you went to Alaska, did you go on a cruise? All right. When you go on an Alaska cruise, you see Canada. Well, <laughs> You see mostly 99% of what you see is Canada when you go on an Alaskan cruise. If you want to see Alaska, fly to Anchorage. And then there's a company called Raven that Raven flies all over Alaska to the little airports and little double-jet engine prop jets. Yeah. And they'll take you to any of these places. Or fly, if I was going to, if I wanted to plan a trip to actually see Alaska, um, I would fly into Anchorage and I would take the train. You can take the train from Anchorage all the way over to Seward, or you can take the train to Denali. You can take the train to a lot of different places. Yeah. Now, it's, but it's, it's the same complaint that people have against cruises just in general like you you go to on a cruise to jamaica you're not going to see jamaica you're going to you're going to see kingston and it anytime you cruise because i've when i did alaska i did it on a cruise and you spend three hours in a town that is you know let's say 60 percent fishing and 40 percent tourism is what keeps the town alive and you never really quite get the, the true nature, and that's one of the things that's so cool about Alaska is that if you get outside of those areas, there's so much more. Uh, it, it'd be like taking a cruise to Hawaii. Like, there's so much to those islands and to the people that inhabit there. You've got to get out of the cities to really in, experience it. Well, and the massivity of Alaska is startling. It is so huge. You know, we were right next to the Kenai Wildlife Refuge. The Kenai Wildlife Refuge is 1.29 million acres. That's... You just I just can't wrap my head around that. It's a staggering amount of acreage. And we drove back. What is that in square miles? I have no idea. But we drove back into the bush country and seen a lot of the dry cabins, a lot of the cabins. So the other interesting thing about Alaska, no cabins are on permanent foundations. It's not practical to site build a cabin in Alaska. You build the cabin at the shop, and then they put it on a roll-off trailer and haul it out and dump it off. Interesting, And everything is on a temporary foundation up there and up off the ground so that it's no problem with rotting and all that stuff during the winter. But we drove back to what are called dry cabins, cabins without water source. Yeah. And we were driving through there, and you can see a lot of guys hunting cabins that they just come up, you know, depending on where they get drawn, if they get drawn for moose or get drawn for sheep or bear or whatever, they have that. And the little R-Pod campers are everywhere. Oh, I bet. Those little R-Pods are just great little campers, and they're easy. But up there, it's more practical to have something like that because you may get drawn for a moose in a territory 150 miles away from you. Right. So it was really a a a once-in-a-lifetime trip. 
that I'll probably go on again. <laughs> but if you ever get the chance, just seeing it, the, the crews don't do it justice. Just yeah. the crew, the Alaska cruises are wonderful. They're great cruises. They are not great trips to Alaska. And I was kind of the only way I can put that. Yeah, I get that. But okay, coming back to cigars. CRA Freedom Sampler, summer 2023, begins shipping. So this is a 10-cigar sampler with cigars coming from various companies that are members of the CRA. Um, These samplers are always worth the money. Yeah, so MSRP is $204. I'd be really curious to know where that $4 came from. But... And you think, okay, 10, 10 cigars for $200, we're, we're looking at $20 each. What could possibly be in that cigar ca- sampler that's worth the money? For Right off the top of the, let, let's just say that we owe the CRA the victory over the FDA that we talked about in the first half of the show. So let's just say 20 bucks right off the bat is just going to them doing what right. they need to do. Then you've got the Ashton Symmetry Sublime which is about a $25 cigar at this point. Uh, and very good. One of the few Ashtons I really like. Right. Uh, Diamond Crown, Black Diamond, Emerald. Just in, anything out of the Diamond Crown uh, line is, is phenomenal. Fuente, Fuente, uh, Opus X, Lost City. Uh, La Flor Dominicana, Salomones. That's the only one in here that I'm just like... I mean, it, it's good. And it's certainly... From, a, from what it costs... Uh, MSRP, it, it definitely worthy of being in the sampler, but that's the only one where I was like, eh. My father, Garcia and Garcia Robusto, uh, uh, Oliva Serie V, Oliva Serie V, uh, 135th anniversary, Padron Black, Rocky Patel White Label, Tatawahe 15th anniversary. So, yeah, those are all 25 and $30 cigars. You know, I think if you're going to do one of these packs, you don't do a Robusto. I just, I don't, unless you're Padron. Padron gets a pass. Yeah. But everybody else, I mean, don't do a Robusto. <laughs> just go ahead. If you're going to, you know, so say there's 10 cigars and say we're going to average them at $20 each. It's hard to sell a Robusto at $20. Now, the Leva Serie V 8 by 52 I mean, that's a great size for that stick. Yeah, it is. And I think everybody, if your shop, your local shop gets these, go ahead and get them. Go ahead and buy them because the CRA Regardless of the value per cigar, the value for you continuing to get cigars is there. Exactly. And that's why I say you, you've got to take basically the price of one cigar right off the top as just being administrative. And and, a, and I know this sounds silly, but a thank you to the organization. Because, yeah, the, the, we're, we're looking at the potential to be able to continue enjoying this hobby for the foreseeable future because of the work that they did. Yeah, and, you know, the PCA contributed and a lot of other people contributed. I'm not downplaying any of the contributions made by the other companies. But PCA ramrodded this operation. Yeah. they And they were created. Or CRA, you mean. Or CRA, excuse me. CRA ramrodded this operation. And CRA specifically was created to ramrod this operation. Right. So I just go ahead and buy that sampler, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Tatawahi ships Tuxla versions of 10th Anniversary, Bell Encore, and Bon Chasseur. Okay, Tatawahi, let me talk to you here. This looks like a great cigar. The, I would like the views cigar. expressed herein are the views exclusively of Shane Reeves and not indicative of the views of the cigar cast as a whole. I would Go ahead. Lo- I would love to smoke this cigar. 
in a wall of tatouages, I'll never pick this cigar out. When will somebody get it through Pete Johnson's head to start marketing cigars? All right. I'm going to I'm going to lay this one on you. The you go to a you go to a car dealership and you've got the guy who walks up in the in the Mercedes that's a few years old and he's dressed to the nines, the suit, the whole nine yards and he's up there and he wants to he wants to find uh he wants to find a new car. He's the guy who's going going to haggle and he's not going to be able to be happy, and you're going to have to throw a bunch of stuff to make the deal, and he's going to make sure you know who he is, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, same, the guy goes to the same dealership wearing a pair of shit kickers, some, some jeans that he's had since 1987, and a T-shirt, and he could buy the dealership if he wanted. You know, it, it's, that, that's what we're doing here. This is, he doesn't need a fancy box. He doesn't need all of that flash, because if, if, you've, got, if you've got it, you don't have to prove it to people. If a car dealership put out a car and they didn't put, they just said, okay, here's six white cars, pick one. We're not going to tell you which one's a 350. You should know that. We're not going to tell you which one's an XLR. We're not, we, you should already know that. Okay, well, on that, on that, you and I agree, right? You know, there should be better differentiation on the label as to which one you're smoking. Once you take it out of the box, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a crapshoot what you what you've got, but in terms of like going flash or go or adding really a lot to it, I don't think they need to. I don't need them to add flash. I need them to add competent labeling. Okay, that's all I want. All I want is competent. Like this cigar has the same exact band the tattoo tin had on it, and the only difference is there's a little green label under it that says Tuxla. But at least they did that because historically they've got three lines that all have the same brown band and you never know which is which. Right. You never know what you're smoking. Yeah. And this has got to, at this point, this has got to be an ego deal for Pete Johnson. There's got to be everybody and their brother that's come into his shop said, hey, why don't we put the name of the cigar on the labels? Because my cigars are good enough they don't need it. Right. It's, it's got to be an ego buy. I, I don't know if I buy that. But I can certainly appreciate your perspective on that one. Yeah, it's got to be an ego thing at this point. So I just uh, drives me crazy. But okay, let's talk about icebreakers. All right. Um, so this has been happening in the shop a lot lately, and I'm very grateful for it that a lot of new people come in. And as kind of the golden retriever, the shop golden retriever. Yeah. I want to make people feel welcome. And there's nothing worse than when somebody sets down and they're set there. It's their first day amongst a bunch of guys that's been smoking cigars together for years. Right. You, you brought up an interesting point about this when we were talking about, talking about it in show prep, which is these guys have been, no, at, at this shop, these are people that have been smoking together for a year and change. Some of them more, you know, from other shops and stuff, but, you know who your sports teams are, right? You, you know who you know. You know who you root for. You know why you root for them, and you know what everybody else thinks about your choice of team. So, you know, there's got to be something. There's got to be something more that we can talk about that is still light, but engages somebody regardless of their. Because if you ask me what teams I support, I'll be like, well, I mean. I've got these couple. Like, if I'm gonna watch a game, I'll watch the this. But uh, you know, there are plenty of people out there that aren't as into sports anymore. Just especially when you consider how 
fan-unfriendly professional sports have gotten lately. Yeah, they act like they're doing us a favor. Yeah. To, to let us. You know, I'm not a big NFL fan. I am a huge college football fan. I really enjoy college football. I enjoy the game, but I enjoy it because it's not pro football. Right. And everybody can make the NIL arguments, but we're not here. We're not talking about that right, right. now. Um, so what we did is we got some icebreakers here that you can talk to. you Now, these are one and done. These are you're going to use them once and then throw them away. But one and done's that you can use when, say, you got a new person or two in the group and they want to be an active participant in the group. You can throw these icebreakers out and kind of pontificate with everybody and they can feel like they're part of the group. Um, it's kind of like you said before the show. They won't feel like they're coming in on season three. Yeah, exactly. And that really makes a big difference. So um, and let's start with an easy one. What movie do you wish you could watch again for the first time? See, I think that one's that one's great because most everybody are is going to have a story about why they chose the one they did. Now, are we answering these or are we just talking about? Oh yeah, about, we got to oh, answer. Okay. We got to do a, right. just a little bit of answering. We won't get too deep. Um, for me, it's Young Frankenstein. It's my favorite movie, but and this goes to exactly what I was just talking about. The re, part of the reason that that movie is so impactful for me is is when I watched it the first time. And it's, I guess, I guess that's the wrong answer then, isn't it? Because that, would I forget the first time I watched the movie, I guess? Yes, you have to give up the first time you watch yeah, the movie. Yeah, so, so that's the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to think about that. Because I originally was like, the first time I watched that movie was so impactful, I'd like to relive that experience. Um, yeah, a movie that's so good that you wish, you know, a, a perfect example of a movie that it would be nice to forget as soon as you left and get to watch again for the first time. It's Ocean's Eleven. I was just about to say that movie. That that was going to be my next... Yes, the twist was perfectly executed. Great mm-hmm. cast. Uh, I, I fully support that answer. Not the best movie I've ever seen. No. But if I, could, if I could scrub my brain of one movie and then watch it again for the first time and know I'd enjoy it, it'd be Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, for sure. Um. What is the best superpower? Now, this is you've got to be around a certain crowd for this one to work. This ain't going to work around a bunch of crusty old guys. Probably not. Um, I think invisibility. Mm-hmm. Because it's anything you can you can practically do any of the other superpowers if you have invisibility. Like you can't. I can't fly. Right. Right. But I can get on an airplane for free. Sure. <laughs> but then, you know, if something happens and everybody else is strapped down, you're not strapped down. Yeah, but the, the likelihood of that happening. When was the last time you heard of a commercial plane crash? Well, I can tell you the best superpower, I believe, bar none, teleportation. Yeah. Just being able to open up a portal and step through to be somewhere else instantaneously. There would be no handier, no easy. Now, you're not going to save the world very often with that. No, but you're going to rob a few banks. Oh, rob, for, rob banks? I'm going to grab a pallet of gold at Fort Knox. You think there's still <laughs> gold at Fort Knox? That's cute. Well, I'll, I'll find out. <laughs> there's got to be a bar laying around or something. Yeah, but, yeah use it as a doorstop. Right, or I'll, I'll, grab, I'll grab some Saudi Arabian gold. There you or, go. You know, Mexican drug money or something, something to clean my conscience. 
But I actually think that that's the king of superpowers. I think the te- I think teleportation's largely under underrated as superpowers go. Yeah, everyone goes to fly, but teleportation really is that that next. So say you don't want to get too far out there and you're around a bunch of crusty old dudes right. and you want to just ask a question that people can engage in. What is the weirdest thing in your house right now and why? So I actually saw this right before I left because I have to tell on myself a little bit. You know, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago on the show, I, I told you that I had given up. I would finally decided that it was worth the money to buy the, the, the Fien Lama uh, cigar knife i haven't bought it yet but one of my justifications was because i've had the same zycar cutter since 2013 and i've i've kept up with it this whole time i've i've clearly demonstrated competence worthy of a 150 dollar cutter yeah i lost my cutter (laughs) i last friday so a week ago today was the last time I've seen it. And it's got to be in my car somewhere because that was the last place I used it. But for the life of me, I don't know where it is. And, but, so I was digging through one of my, one of my drawers to find a replacement cutter to bring with me today. And I have a headless Arturo Fuente or Carlito Fuente bobblehead. What'd you do with the head? I don't know. It fell off or something. It's got to be around here somewhere. But I still have the headless torso <laughs> and base of the bobblehead for some reason. You know, I have a lot of of eclectic weird things in my house. I've got WWE title belts, the big heavy ones. I've actually yeah. got the Steve Austin rattlesnake variant. I have a custom built title belt that we had custom built for when a friend of mine passed away that has his name on it, and it has the Japanese symbol for soup on the side, and we put strength under it because he'd have loved that joke. <laughs> and, <laughs> we, you know, and there's some Bigfoot statues in my house and stuff like that. So there, th- that would be one that I could delve into pretty deep because it'd be pretty easy to find weird stuff in my yeah. house. And all, But that's a great icebreaker question. I it think is. That's, that's one that's probably the most palatable and easiest. That and the f- movie you watch again for the first time. So... Which one did you come up with? What have you got? Uh, what cover song is better than the original? That yeah, you know, um, Sawyer Brown, "The Race Is On" is better than George Jones' version. All right, that's... so is Tennessee Whiskey. Chris Stapleson's <sighs> better than the George Brown. Yeah, version. it is. Um, for me, it's "Blinded by the Light." I think Manfred Mann did it so much better than than uh, Springsteen did. Yeah, I agree. I agree that, that that's a good one, and that's one that can kind of spark some debate and some talk into there. It is hard though. That one's not truly universal because then you've got people like my wife, who one of my favorite games in the world is, "Hey, who's who's this singing?" Whenever there's just music on in the background somewhere, she cannot play that game. Right? It absolutely cannot play that game. I'm a savant at that game, and she can't play. And so when you introduce things, musical things like this, a lot of times people are going to struggle to remember, okay, first I've got to think about what cover songs I like. Was that a cover? Was that not a cover? You know, a lot of people go, I, I, I don't know. You're going to get a lot of that. So a really good one, if you want to take a dark turn and really find out who you're sitting around the smoking a cigar with, what crime would you commit if you were guaranteed to get away with it? I think I bird-dogged this one a little bit when I talked about teleportation. <laughs> <laughs> You'd like to sneak onto airplanes? No, uh, uh, no, uh, rob a bank. You think, it, you think robbing a bank would be the one? I, th- I think it would. 
But I'm not going to kill anybody. No, no, I would. I probably wouldn't go the murder route. But my my tax burden is low enough that tax evasion wouldn't be worth it compared to robbing a bank. Yeah, I can see that. I can say, and if anybody chooses tax evasion, you know you're dealing with somebody that's the, yeah. What do the kids say? Balling. Yeah. What <laughs> <laughs> does the kids say? Are balling. Yeah. Um, you know that's a tough one for me because on one hand I would like to, you know, financial gain. You know, could yeah. I walk into a bank, walk out with enough money, never have to work again, and know I could get away with it? Yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty strong motivator. Yeah. But on the other side of it is, what piece of knowledge could I use my get-out-of-jail-free card to go gain? You know, like stroll into Area 51 and see if their uh. flying saucers are there? And maybe write a book about well, it? Well, did, did you not get the news up in Alaska? It's been, it's been proven. They, they leaked it. Well, <laughs> the, actually, I watched, for the first time in my life, I watched the entire Senate hearing on aliens with, doc, with um, did Colonel you Faber. Did really? And everything like that. And okay, let me say this about that. It's a miracle anything ever gets done in our government. All the, well, it's the same thing. The government has the same issue that big corporations do. They spend more time talking about the work that needs to be done than actually doing the work that needs to be done. Well, not only that, we, you know, we're there, I'm watching this, and everybody's got five minutes or 90 seconds or whatever. And they spend the first half of it just stroking the balls of the guy next to him. Yeah. There's, well, I thank the honorable senator from North Carolina for giving me this opportunity to ask questions of the, thank you for your service, Colonel Framer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, if, if we could just say, all right, everybody, before we get started today, everybody's glad to be here. We all love each other. Just ask your question. Treat this right. like a radio call-in show. You know, at the Oscars, when they say "hold your applause" in the at, in memoriam section, we're gonna that that applies to the decorum right. associated with this. Right. Hearing. Please hold all brown nosing till the end of this session, right. and afterwards, y'all can go. Once out in the C-SPAN hall. turns the the cameras off, you guys can do your right honorable this and that. Yeah, and but and it was very interesting because I, I think the biggest thing that came out of that hearing was. That something that makes a lot of sense. Only 5% of these UAP sightings are ever reported. Right. Because if you're a commercial pilot and you report it... They'll ground you for a psych out eval. Right. If you're in the Air Force and you report it, you get grounded. If you're The guys that are in the best position to see these phenomena... Are too afraid to report it. Right. They're the most hampered, the most punished for reporting it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the most... I think history will look back as the, at that session and say, okay, that was the most important part of coming out of this was we hopefully create a device by which these things can be reported. We lower we, the stigma. Right, and we can see if, okay, is this new technology? Is this people trying out new stuff? Or is this extraterrestrial? You know, what's the, what's the layout here? And one more, if you really want to... Um, get mad at your fellow cigar smoker. All right. Because this is the one that I think will instigate the most anger from me if I pose this question. If you had a time machine, would you go back in time or into the future? So why would this elicit the most anger from you? I think I know the answer to this, but I want you to say it. Because somebody's going to try to loophole this one. Right, exactly. Somebody is going to try to loophole this one. So, okay. Let's establish the parameters of this situation. This is a one-way blind hop. Right. 
you're going, you're either going to say, okay, I'm going to go back in time um, 25 years with a list of the Super Bowl winners, and by this stage in my life, I'll be a billionaire, or I'm going to go forward in time to see what happens and might land in a nuclear wasteland, might land in a, you know, paradise. Right. And all where we've mastered space travel or something like that. That's how this question should be presented. But there's always going to be jerks. Yeah, there's going to be the people who have no sense of whimsy who just say, "Uh, I'll, I'm pretty happy with my life as it is and where things are. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go forward one second. Right. Yeah. No. So yeah, you have to establish also minimum minimum ten years. Yeah, I think you do have to put a minimum minimum ten years, an unlimited amount of back. You know, if if you want to go back to when Jesus was walked the earth. And people only lived to 30 years old. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> it, it, infant mortality skews those life expectancy. If you, made it, if you made it to like eight years old, you lived as long as we do now. Or almost. You had a better shot. Yeah. But the, you know, talking about moving backward and forward in time and all that, this is, this, I don't know if this is an icebreaker so much as a hypothetical. I think it, I think it really falls more into your, your hypotheticals because this reveals a lot more of your psyche than some of the others. The whole point of an icebreaker is to be fairly superficial. And this, this one gets into motivation because I want to meet the person. I, I feel like this might be you, actually. I want to meet the person that says they go forward. Would you go forward? Oh, I'd go forward. Yeah. I'd, I'd go forward. I'd want to... I would go forward a thousand years, and I'd take my chances. See, I think 90% of people, because this is part of the human condition, right? We are naturally afraid of the unknown. That's why there are so many hundreds of religions, and that's why there are so many like superstitions and other things. We are so afraid of what we don't know, and I think most people are going to say, well, I can go back in time 20 years, and I can, I can hit the stock market. Uh, I could get out before the before the bubble bursts on the tech boom. I can I can invest in real estate and liquidate before 08 happens. You know I can get on the ground floor of Bitcoin or whatever it is. Right. I think most people are going to take that approach. I bet it's probably only five percent of people that are willing to take a chance on going forward. Five five being generous. A very generous. Yeah, a very generous five percent of people would would step forward in time. And all, and it, that kind of tells you something about how optimistic people are. Yeah. And all, but that that'll be an interesting one that may get posed around the cigar circle tonight. I may have to pose that one in the coming days. Yeah, because it and and it's it's funny because I'm curious as well. Like, if I feel like if you go forward in time, and I know we're running long, but I feel like if you go forward in time, you've got to go minimum fifty years to make it worth it. Oh, yeah, go a thousand years. I mean, no, but I'm saying like bare minimum is it, or is it a hundred years to, for it to be different enough that it's worth? Because if you took somebody from 2003 and you dropped them here today, the world's a very different place than it was 20 years ago. But it's similar enough you could feel your way around, right? You know, in nineteen, so say 40 years ago, say 1983, 1983. 2023 seemed like a, seemed like we would have jetpacks. There was a there was an infographic floating around online last week, and it was breaking down movies when they came out versus when they were set in, and it was like where were you know we're we're 
perilously close to 12 monkeys and we've already surpassed, you know, back to the future Two and all that. Right. It was really interesting to see, like, I think running man is the, maybe the next one we've got coming up. Uh, so to think, and those movies, a lot of them were made. Yeah. 40 years ago. Yeah. We're closer to blade runner than we are to Godfather. Yeah. I mean, that's really where we're at in history. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And the you've got to so I think if you're going into the future, you've got to go hundreds of years. You can't just go fifty. You got to go hundreds. Yes, yeah, I think I think hundred is the minimum because if you look at what was going on in 1923 compared to now, you'd have a really hard time adjusting. Yeah, and that's that's if you're going to take the leap, if you're going to make the chance, you've got to do it in in such a way that it's that you're really putting something on the line. Well, so um, one of the one of the thoughts I've had lately, and I know we're long, but I'm going to say this thought, is I was pitching a movie ideal to a buddy of mine called The Beacon. Because we don't have to invent time travel. All we've got to invent is a beacon that time travelers could lock, lock in on and they'll come to us. Because outer space is full of dead time travelers. Think about it. If you went back in time 50 years from where we're sitting right now, you'd be in outer space because the Earth's moved positions. Right. If you manage to hit the Earth, there's a 75% chance you're going to hit water and drown. Right. So the problem with time travel is not moving through time. It's finding how do you hit a mark yeah. in time. You have to be able to travel in time and space. Right. Or you have to have a mark to say, okay, on August 23rd, 2023, I step into the time bubble and I can hit this same spot. The earth will be in this same position, you know, minus a couple of feet for universe expansion. Um, earth will be in this same spot at that moment. Yeah. So just, just thinking about thinking about that. So you don't have to invent a time machine. All you got to do is invent a beacon and the time and, travelers will come to you. Well, someone has to invent time travel. Yeah. And they, and they will, if they have, if, if it becomes known, Hey, I've got a time beacon here. Right. We've plotted out space and time, and I guarantee you in 500 years you hit this coordinate and you'll come to this spot, then somebody 500 years from now show up. You know, that was, a, that was actually a, a key component in uh, the Stargate series. You know, that when the, when the TV, after the movie, when they made the TV show, a lot of it was, well, these coordinates, we can't get back to the same place. It's not working anymore. And it's like, yeah, well, it's been how many thousands of years? It's not, the, not in the same place. And they had to retool all of their mapping. It was just, it was a great, like, nerdy element to an already very nerdy show that I really appreciated. All right. Well, let's get back to reality. Rate your cigar. <sighs> this is a six. Good solid six. It's a good solid six. It's a medium, medium plus. It's drawing well. It's definitely got some age to it, but it still has enough of that Honduran spice uh, that I'm really enjoying it. The Kill Bill is a six with an asterisk as the best Honduran cigar. All right. I will allot this is the best Honduran cigar I smoke. We might have to, sw- we might have to do a trade. I'll throw in some cash on top because I know yours is worth more than mine. But yeah, we'll we'll swap out. I'll get you a kill bill to try because it's it's definitely the if I smoked this, I would not pick it out as Honduran. I would def, this is one that would fool my palate. See this that's part of what I like about this so much is it tastes Nicaraguan. Yeah, has a lot of Nicaraguan, a lot of Dominican, not much Dominican because they're a little stouter. But you could definitely confuse these with Nicaraguan yeah, in a heartbeat. Absolutely. And all so mine's a six of an ostrich for sure. Well, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? 
Uh, you can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigar cast. We're on Instagram and X at the cigar cast <laughs> and email info at the cigar Well, thanks everybody for listening this week. And until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Yeah.